Well, good day, dear listener, and welcome to I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, Season 2, Episode 38. And this is one of those stories, B. This is one of those story episodes where we talk about what happened to us. But I think this one's kind of important because today we're going to leave Great Big AOG. We are, and it's also a bit of a convergence or a reconvergence of our journeys. I think after, you know, we have spoken about that period of time where we carved off and some stuff happened and maybe we went and did different things and experienced different things and had different drives. We came back together on the same page, kind of. There's a little bit of a catch there, kind of. Yeah, and and only temporarily, really, although we always stayed in touch. Yeah, it wasn't like we came back together and lay in the dark and listened to Carmen or anything. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Although, you know, it was coming close to that time where Green Day got put on and we we moshed about. I um, noticed that Poker, one of our listeners, actually said, hey, you know, chill out, it's a bromance. I know that that may seem really laden with homophobia, the way that we were talking about that, but we didn't mean it that way, I promise. You know, that wasn't where we were coming from. We were just making light of the fact that we were lying in the dark and listening to music together. Yeah, it's not weird at all. It's not strange at all. Yeah, that's right. And, and if we wanted to, we could have. <laughs> that's right. We, we didn't because it wasn't there. The yeah. feelings and weren't yeah, that's there. Right. He's, he's just not the right one for me, folks. That's <laughs> just what's going on. That's right. That is correct. So, yes, that's right. From your side too. Okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. Moving on, moving on. So, mate, when we were talking last time in one of these sort of story episodes, you know, I I really talked a lot about, you know, my, my aloneness and my pain and my feeling, you know, rejected by the status quo and the, the powers that be at Great Big AOG, but I was staying. Right, mm-hmm. I wasn't. I wasn't packing up and leaving because I just didn't feel that I could. I felt like this is where I was supposed to be, and you know, as you know, it's not easy to turn around and leave. No, I mean you've got so many hooks in there, haven't you? I mean, it's all that stuff, the belonging. It's the place where a lot of your friends are. It's the connection. It's the safety, security. All of those things play into it, and I'm sure that there's also a degree of guilt which keeps you there as well. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, I was reading those spiritual abuse books and reading those books about control and power abuses and all that happening in evangelicalism, written by other evangelicals. And as I said, I was reading those books, trying to unpack or deconstruct, and I wouldn't have used that language, but my revival center experience, not the AOG. But the more I read these books, the more I saw great big AOG and my great big AOG experience. And it it was really, really hard to deal with. And I remember consciously even going, not going to deal with that. Not, oh, you know, that can't be right. And sort of pushing it aside and pushing it aside because these were God's people. This was God's church. How could this be so wrong and bad according to this book written by someone that didn't even know great big AOG? That was really hard to take. Yeah, and I often wonder about this period that we're going to talk about today, whether it was something in me that shifted and that was the reason that I had to, I guess, carve away from the space or was it great big AOG that was changing? Was it the evangelical or the Pentecostal scene that was changing and was affected by many different things happening at the time? 
there's probably a blend of both potentially. Um, but I often sit in that place of going, what was it? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was a blend of both, but I think the change was bigger in us as individuals. I think that that's clear. You know, looking back now, I think that we were maturing and growing away and getting, you know, becoming insightful. I remember a friend of mine said to me once, he said, quote, insight is often mistaken as negativity by those who don't possess it. I'm going to say that again. He said, insight is often mistaken as negativity by those who don't possess it. So I was becoming more and more insightful, I believe. I was seeing these issues. I was seeing these problems. And I was becoming more and more vocal about it because you know me, right? And even the Bible says, right, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can't help yourself when these things are so profound and so deep and so meaningful and in in the way that you can't help but speak out. And so I was, and I wasn't running around talking to, you know, the 13 year olds in the youth group. I was just talking to people that I was in relationship with and I was connected with until one day I had, you know, I remember I was still pew warming and I was told to pew warm and I'd had that whole experience with my, uh, you know, street team thing. And, you know, that was just an absolute mess. And I'd been destroyed by the senior pastor and the youth pastor and all that had happened. and. I was still trying to connect. And you remember I used to sing, right? And so occasionally I used to do what they used to call items. Remember? So you'd actually sing at church, you know, at the Sunday night service. And that was the closest you'd get to the pulpit or the closest you'd get to the platform. And I made what is either an absolute brilliant move or an absolutely foolish move. But I got up to sing one night and I think I was doing for every time by Steve Grace. I think I'd got the backing tape from Kuro or whatever I'd done, you know. Nice. Yeah, and I got up there to sing. But before I did, I had a bit of a talk, you know, as you do before Mm. you sing. And, you know, people always introduce their songs. And I did this whole spiel about the way that we see our leaders. And I talked about how we put these leaders up on pedestals And we expect them to be more, and you can see where this is coming from and where it was coming from. And I said, we put these leaders up on pedestals and we expect them to be more than they are. And then when they let us down, we wonder why we're upset. And I turned back and looked at the assistant pastor, right, who had been the former youth leader of of one of the youth groups. And he had his head down. And he was pretending to write on his on his notepad. And I know that that move, whenever I saw that move, that means he was completely dissatisfied and unhappy with whatever was going on on the platform at that stage because I'd seen him do it many times. I think he was writing. He was writing your detention slip. And so I, I remember saying that. And I'm looking back at him and I thought, I don't care, I'm going to say it. And I started talking about this stuff that I was reading, but in in very sort of general sort of terms and just talking about leaders are just humans, okay? And then I sang my song, for every time we broke in his heart, for every time he's fault, you know. And then Monday, no, and no, it wasn't Monday because Monday would have been his day off. Tuesday, I get a call from, from this pastor and he says, hey, do you want to come in and see me? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what about? And he goes, oh, don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about what it's about. Just, just come in and see me. Now, that's exactly what they did to see in Great Big CCC, remember? And I was like, yeah. oh. And, and I'd played this game with them before. And, of course, I'm, I'm caring less. And I said, what's it about? 
And he said, oh, oh don't worry, don't worry, just, just, just come in. You know, we'll, we'll talk about it when you get here. And I said, you really need to tell me. He goes, oh, I just want to talk to you about what you said when you were singing, because he, he completely backed down at that point. You know, what I really should have said was, no, 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 give me a fucking agenda. Let's yeah. let me prepare as much as you're going to prepare for this. But of course, you know, that didn't happen. Um, so he said, I just want to talk about, you know, what you said before you sang and all this. So I went in and I went in to see him, right, later that day or the next day. And basically he told me that I shouldn't have said that. I had not earned the right to speak was his actual language I can remember. He said, you haven't earned the right to speak at Great Big AOG. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, and I just looked at him and I said, but what I said is true. And he was like, yeah, but, you know, someone came up to me. He wouldn't even tell me who. Someone came up to me and said, who does he think he is? And I said, yeah, who does he think he is? This, this is what he's saying to me, right? He's having a conversation with someone else who's not in the room because he couldn't even say to me, who do you think you are? Yeah. Basically, oh, someone else said to me, who does he think he is? And I, you know, just so fucking gutless, these people. So fucking gutless. Remember the senior pastor sending, you know, a youth pastor off to to get me and, you know, all to my, oh, anyway, I'll try not to get too too heated. But nevertheless, he said to me, you need to earn the right to speak. So in other words, what it was, was it was a very clear, we control the pulpit here. You will not say anything that we don't agree with. Well, I, I mean, whether it's a matter of my recollection or whether it's a matter of fact, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but very rarely you would hear any self-criticism from the pulpit. Um, very rarely would you hear any apologies. Um, it was very much a faultless space where, and it was a space of authority and it was something that you were, it was definitely a respect my authority from the, the pulpit. There's no doubt about that one because, you know, as we've talked about before, it had the thrones behind there, a great big AOG. It had the people which you should look at and respect. The pulpit was very much up on high. Um, and these are the first people that would be very critical of if you looked at the churches of old where they had the little staircase which led up to where the pulpit was because it was closer to heaven, they would criticise that. But the reality was the pulpit was seen as exactly the same, just as sacred uh, at Great Big AOG. So if you didn't earn the right to speak from it, um, I can imagine that you were hauled over the coals for it and, and you were challenging. But, you know, it wasn't earning the right. It was we haven't given it to you. Because there's no way to earn the right except they give it to you. There was no, okay, you want to say something, here's how you earn the right. Do A, B, C, D, you've earned the right, now you get to speak. Not at all. There was no way to earn the right. It was double talk. Mm. It was it was very much double talk. There was no, there was no way to earn the right. So he, he sat there and he scolded me and it was like, okay, there's another one. And genuinely, B, I look back at what I actually said and what I actually said was, in some ways defending them as well, saying, these are just humans. These are just people. We set them up, we knock them down, and then we wonder. And really there was nothing, there was nothing untoward in what I said at all. But I remember another older deacon in the church came up to me and said, like a week or so later and said, oh, you know, I, I heard you got, you know, reprimanded a little bit for what you said. Oh, well, don't worry about it, moving on or whatever he said. So so people were talking to this young 
person had got up and said all this stuff before the, the singing, which was so typically me. And I'm so glad I did it in retrospect because it was it was the truth. And I got up there and I spoke the truth. And I spoke the truth about some really fundamentally wrong issues, you know, wrong things or things that were wrong with um, with great big AOG. So I'm glad I did. Yeah, and look, you were always going to, if anyone, the evangelist T was going to do it, you were going to use any opportunity you could where you had a, a, a platform to do it. And of course, you were going to do it here. And in hindsight, there was absolutely nothing wrong with it. But for those people that you were being critical of, they didn't have that ability to be to self-reflect and criticise and maybe come out the other side of it and go, oh, maybe it wasn't it, maybe we needed to re-examine our leadership style or the authority that we impose upon others and the expectation we have on others. I mean, I don't think that it was a a place that was ripe for it at that time, and that's probably and maybe it never will be. Who knows? But it certainly wasn't at that time. The other thing to remember too is I was on the nose, you know, yeah. and so for for me to get up there of all people, you know, you haven't earned the right. No. My dad didn't give me the right like your dad gave you the right. Yeah. You know, all that stuff was still happening with the youth. You know, I was just feeling so ostracized by the youth and it was just it was just horrible. I was just miserable. And um, I got invited to a dance college recital. Yep. All right. So there was a friend of mine who was a dancer and she was in the church and she said, come along, see our, see our performance. And I went along to this performance and I can remember – I was just so troubled all the time. You know, the impact of everything that had happened, that the whole country town AOG and then the returning to great big AOG and then the youth pastor and then the senior pastor and now the assistant pastor and just fucking everything was just so heavy on me. And I was sitting in this dance recital. In my mind, I can even see it was just this small little theatre inside a dance college. It was still very high level like these these this dance college was actually one of the nation's top ones and so these dancers would actually go off and join theater companies and dance companies and and all that they would do so it was definitely a high level performance but i was watching this one piece and what they did was they simulated this sort of square this kind of box and inside you had these two dancers and they were just going above and below each other, it's like they were wrestling inside this box and they were just going around and around and around inside this box. The music would play. Sometimes one would be on top and would be oppressing the other. And then it would sort of shift. And then the other one would be on top, oppressing the other. And, and it was just this constant round and round. And then eventually one of them pushed the other outside the box. And it was quite amazing because this is just the way I interpret it, and that's good art, right, is that you interpret it and you bring yourself and you engage it. This person that was left behind was inside the box, and they just kept going around and around, but they'd won, and they had the box. But the person that they pushed out was out on the rest of the stage, and all of a sudden the rest of the stage just seemed so huge. And so this, this, it was a woman, she was dancing and she was leaping and she was experiencing the entirety of the stage while the person that in air quotes won was still going around and around inside the box, you know, and you, you would put it to God, right. At that time. But for myself now, I'd look back and say, Hey dude, 
you know, you just had a, an epiphany. You just had this moment of realization that I was being pushed outside the box, yeah. that I was being evicted, and actually I was in the better place, that now I could dance around in this larger space, that I could actually explore the big bad world or the big wide world, not mm. just being stuck in this box. And it was a profound moment for me. And that was, I think in that moment I went, I need to leave. Yeah, I need to leave this church. They're pushing me out and they're doing me a favor. Even that. So this is 95, I think 1995, 1996, probably 95. And even that, in that moment, I realized they're doing me a favor. This this hurts. This is painful. But you need to leave. You can't stay. Mm. As you know, my ex-wife was a graduate of that, that dance college. And um, so I went to many of those dance performances myself. But um, when I was in the fold, it was definitely seen as something that was pushing out against the norm of what Great Big OG was. And I think that bunch of people struggled a lot, and we've spoke about that before, but struggled a lot to be within the confines of Great Big AOG. So I probably spoke a lot to to their situation there too. I mean, these were the people that were quite often on the outer, so they probably knew how to communicate that stuff quite well. So you, you uh, picked up what they put down. Oh yeah, it was. I mean, it's an archetype. If if anything, you know, it's it's something that happens in life all the time. We outgrow things and we refuse to leave, and we get pushed out. But people are actually doing us a favour, you know, because we're we're too big for the box. But the the interesting thing was the person that won, the person that won the box, they had a fucking box, yeah. and I had the whole world, yeah. and and I knew that in that moment, and it was it was really cool. It was very freeing. The, bo the box is a place that we become very used to, though. It's like a, a caged animal, isn't it? They feel a safety within that cage, and quite often when they've been caged for years and years, the door gets flung open and they don't have the courage or the strength or the ability to leave that cage because that's been their safe place. That's where their food's been passed into them. That's where their, uh, their socialisation from inside that cage has happened, and they can't get out. So it takes a lot of strength, it takes a lot of courage to actually go during that time. And obviously you had that epiphany that led you out of the cage. Yeah, but I, I've got to stress, I was evicted. I, I don't know that I had the strength to actually leave, B. You know, I, yeah. I really, I, I don't think, I think if everything had gone well, I probably would have stayed for a lot longer. So the fact that it all soured, and I thought it was God. I thought it was God sort of, you know, souring the milk so that I would leave. That's the way I interpreted it. It wasn't a decision that I was making. It was still this greater power in control. So I wasn't thinking about leaving Christianity, not for a second. I was leaving Great Big AOG and, and the AOG as a movement. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't leaving Christianity in that moment. I tried to talk to my girlfriend at the time and she was a pastor's daughter at this great big AOG. And so she just didn't want to leave. And so I had been saying to her for, for months, we need to go, we need to go, I want to go, I want to go. And she just wouldn't wouldn't leave. Yeah. 
even having made that decision that, yes, this is what I need to do, I didn't leave right away. And then Toronto broke. Yeah. Not at Great Big AOG. Toronto broke externally, right? So it broke at this small Anglican church out in the suburbs. We'd heard about all this stuff. We'd heard about the laughing. We'd heard about the in the falling down and the barking like dogs and the revival. And here it is, all the things that we've been talking about for years in the in the AOG had been this revival stuff. And here it was, it was happening. And it was happening in this suburban little little Anglican church. And so we started going. And we started going to those meetings. You know, we can unpack the whole Toronto thing if you want. But the thing that struck me was all of a sudden I was exposed to a lot of Christians with different points of view from different denominations. And they were all, and again, in air quotes, open to the Holy Spirit, but they weren't necessarily yelling. They weren't necessarily wearing ties, Daffy Duck ties. They weren't necessarily playing that same game. They might've been playing other games, but they weren't playing that game. I can remember being at one of those meetings and the minister of the church praying for me to, you know, receive the the Toronto blessing or whatever. And it wasn't the first time that I'd been. I'd been many times. As a matter of fact, I was going every Wednesday night or whenever the meetings were. Yeah. I fell down one night, you know, he was praying for me and I fell down, which is what you do. And I lay there and just this whole great big AOG thing went through my mind. Yeah. I got up and I walked over to my girlfriend and I said, Next Sunday is my last meeting at Great Big AOG. You can stay if you need to, that's fine, but I'm leaving. This is it. Yep. You know what her response was? After pushing back and refusing to go, and she just went, okay. And that was it. So she chose to leave? Yeah. Mm. She, that's what I mean. She's like, okay, let's go. Yep. You know, remembering that I needed someone to push me out. I couldn't just leave because of this prison of the mind that gets built. And this is where it is very cultic. Because of this prison of the mind, I couldn't just leave. They had to destroy me for me to leave. She just needed someone to pull her along and say, come on, we're going. And yeah. so we did. So the next, and it's funny because it's so dramatic. You know, next Sunday is my last one. Why didn't I just fucking say I'm never going back? I don't know. It had to be a big statement, you know. So we went. And she had to tell her parents that she's not going back. And we went along. We sat through the Sunday service and they all yelled and carried on and do what they do and hallelujah, seat buckler and the whole bit. And then we left and that was it. I had left Great Big AOG. But I've got to point something out. I hadn't finished my Bible college degree. Mm. So four days a week, I was still very much in AOG land and I was still there but at least and as you know they said you know they talked very much about you know your home church and your all that kind of thing being the main pivot or the main point that ties you in so i'd i'd made this decision we'd left you were gone and in the parallel universe i remained and i was within that uh great big, big agm for me i was starting to to question things for me there was i guess it was probably a, a 
pivot point for me because although the Toronto stuff hadn't really landed in great big AOG, it was sitting there on the fringes. There was people having the conversations. There was people talking about, and they'd gone to those same meetings that you were going to in the, the Anglican church and experience what was there. And they were wanting to, for lack of a better word, bring it back to great big AOG and seed it in there and have it have it actually take off. I've said this in now, I think it was episode two this season when we had Tara Jean Stevens on, that I was calling bullshit on it. Back then, I was incredibly uncomfortable with it. There was some very strange sort of murmurings around the edge. And I remember talking to the assistant pastor at the, the time, the one that you just referred to that had their head down. And I said, dude, what do, what do you make of this? I'm finding it really, really strange and it's not sitting comfortably with me. And they said, same. I actually think it's froth and bubble. And I don't think that it is something that um, Great Big AOG wants to get involved with. And it was really so he actually clear. said that, did he? He actually yeah. said, this is not something we want to be involved with. Yes, before it came there, it was something that he wasn't comfortable with. And he was really clear with me that he wasn't comfortable with it. So it was something that... I think they were wrestling with. Maybe I wasn't part of the inner workings of the, the senior pastors there. My sense is that they were struggling with what it all meant and where Great Big AOG fit in with. And I think they were very comfortable with Great Big AOG being a leader in the Penty space and that they didn't need this extra, that maybe people were getting this extra because they didn't have what Great Big AOG already had, which was the Spirit of God and all the gifts and all the, you know, the prophecy and the tongues and the healings. And the Daffy Duck ties. And the Daffy Duck ties. Hey, you had one. You admitted it. You had oh, one. I did. Oh, fucking oath I had one. I had, I had a, you know, an application for an AOG credential, dude. I had a fucking tie and... I was trying to be called pastor, so yeah, I'll own that. Yeah, you wouldn't have got ordained without it. I have one. We all have one. So that that's fine. Well, it's not fine, actually. It's something we really should be deeply ashamed of, but we had one anyway. I had a vest too, by the way. I did have a vest. <laughs> you, I know you did. You've tried right. to out me constantly about my vest and shame me about my vest wearing, but, you know, I still hold dearly to the vest. It's just I've got a photo of myself at a youth meeting with a vest. I'm going to actually publish it in the Facebook group. I think you should. My my middle age gut won't allow me to wear a vest now. Well, it will, but I'll look more and more like Humphrey Bear, and it'll just be absolutely terrible. You just got to leave your pants on, because remember, Humphrey didn't wear pants. He didn't wear yeah. pants at all. Yeah, no, he had no genitals either. He had no genitals. He was a bit weird, and he was part of very, very early cancel culture, I think. And um, I remember that him and Fat Cat, and obviously if you're not an Australian listener, you won't hear them, but you can Google Humphrey B. Bear and Fat Cat. Neither of them wore pants. Well, Fat Cat might have worn pants, but they were both cancelled anyway as inappropriate for children's television. Because children must wear pants. I'm not wearing pants right now as we record, so... I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm not an advocate for the pants if you don't need it. Yeah, well, I think we should turn the lights off and listen to Carmen if you're not wearing <laughs> pants. Come on over. Um, so this it was a quite a strange time at, at Great Big AOG. Um, for for me, I was starting to question. I was starting to think, what the hell's going on? And I was watching it 
it was infiltrating the spaces, this um, Toronto blessing, and it was starting to, they'd have little meetings. We've talked about these ones they'd have during the week. There was also Bible studies during the week where people would report back that they had experienced something that would be Toronto blessing type behaviour. You know what was interesting about that? It wasn't about saying, oh, okay, this is happening over at the Anglican Church they actually started to have their own meetings, right? And I just I just want to point yeah. that out, that it wasn't enough just to go, oh, the revival's happening over there, let's go. It's like, oh, no, we need to now start having our own in direct competition with what's going on at these less spiritual churches. It's much like taking you for live back, isn't it, from country town church. You have to cut. You have to take it back. You have to be the one who is leading it. So these things were happening. There was these little meetings, and then I think one recollection I have is a Saturday night youth meeting where all hell broke loose. It was absolute madness. It was one of these times where the the worship session just led into a complete time of weirdness where people were getting up they were yelling in tongues they were i I can't remember what sort of animal noises but there were definitely animal noises happening from people was anyone making whale noises i bet they weren't i bet they were animal noise there was chickens there was lions there was all this kind of stuff but i don't think anyone was doing running around going being dolphins were they yeah, you know why? Because Neptune is god of the sea, so they wouldn't be able to bring in Neptune noises. So I think yeah, there's that's a right. the Little Mermaid was a demonic movie because she had magic and shit. Oh yeah, she was evil. I had a crush on her, you know. I'm not, I'm not even going to pretend. Did she? Oh yeah, as a teenager, as a late teenager, I saw the Little Mermaid. She was just beautiful. So my then girlfriend, out of nowhere, like I'm sitting there thinking. This is fucked. This is the stuff that I never wanted to see come into my space. I've always been wary of it. I've called bullshit on it. I think it's strange. Out of nowhere, she gets up. She's screaming in tongues and running around. There's probably, I don't know, 150 young people at this meeting. She's going around smacking them on the head and screaming at them in tongues, grabbing them by the side of their face and praying over them loud in tongues. So just to clarify, who's doing this? My girlfriend at the time. Very, very weird. Who was later to become my wife. I remember that meeting just being uncomfortable the whole time. Starting to question and go, is this a place I want to be? But it was the immediate question I had to ask after the, the meeting was my then girlfriend. What the fuck was that? I wouldn't have said fuck. I would have said, oh, what was that? She had no idea. So she goes, I don't know. I felt like I was taken over by something for that to happen. And I had no control of it. And I just had to keep on doing it. The next few weeks, it just started to escalate more and more and saw it creep into the main services to a point where, and we've spoken about this before, where there was this lecturer at Bible College, which we all looked up to. He was like the the demigod of the place. You would you you really hung on to every word he said. He was incredibly wise. He was grounding. He was a guy that just didn't fall for this bullshit. Next minute. He's up running around, is he? 
Well, not in that service. It would listen in the main service on a Sunday where everyone else is sitting down. It was a quiet time, you know, when worship goes into that quiet, reflective time. People are sort of looking down. They're, they're, as you would be, you'd be in the throne room. It was that moment where he stood up and for 15 minutes, flat out, he was screaming in tongues, absolutely screaming in tongues. And I was absolutely floored. It was just like this person who I had looked up to, which grounded me in my faith, brought a bit of reality to the situation, was now part of this weirdness that was happening, this Toronto blessing. And let's point out that he had a PhD from one of the top divinity schools in England. Like we're not talking Pentecostal divinity schools. We're talking top notch, you know, Oxford, Cambridge, one of those. Yeah. So he was he was hardcore. You trusted this guy. I had be, uh, the utmost respect for him, and I had gone to him, and I said to him, "Dude, what?" And he didn't want to talk about it. He did not want to talk about it. It was it became something that was taboo. I don't know why, but he couldn't explain it. He couldn't explain it either. So there's these people, these people close to me that were experiencing something that they couldn't explain. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there going, "This is messed up. This is not something that sits comfortably with me. I I just can't do this." I, I and I sat in this really really tense place for months. Because I wasn't, as you remember, people might remember, I'm not one that has ever fallen down or, as they say in the fold, slain in the spirit. I never experienced any of that, ever. And during this where everybody seemed to be running around, barking like dogs, clucking like chickens, possibly making dolphin or whale noises. Well, let's just let's just be clear. They didn't. There possibly. Was no, there was no whales and no dolphin. Well, I never saw them. You, you never saw them. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. People were swimming in the river, though. Remember they, that? It was that swimming in the river thing that they were all doing. Yeah, they were. There's weird shit happening. A lot of weird shit happening. So here I am on the precipice of going, I cannot stay anymore. It was the ledge that I'd stepped to. Contrasted to that, and I've, I said this when we talked with Tara Jean on episode one of season two, it was a very quiet affair over at this Anglican church, right? So, and when I say, yeah, there, there was a little bit of dog barking and lion roaring and all that kind of stuff, but not like you described. People didn't, were not running around and, and hitting people and all this. It was all very much about, they'd sort, sort of call it doing carpet time, where ministers and elders of, these, of this church would come and they would pray with you. And in a very Anglican, staid kind of way, you know, you know it was, Holy Spirit, fall now. And it was very much like this. And they'd sit there and they'd pray and they'd wave their hand at you. They'd sort of bop, 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 bop with their hand. It was physical, tangible. I could feel the weight. I could feel the pressure pushing me over. It was very different to, oh, do I fall now? Do I not fall now? Unlike you, I was getting right right into this, but not what you're describing, right? It was It was a very different kind of thing. And later on, when... Great Big AOG started to experience this. We actually went back, not to a church service because we'd left, but we went back to one of these special, you know, Toronto meetings. And it was exactly what you said. They were screaming. They were yelling. And do you remember back in the day we used to go to prayer meetings in the in the Pentecostal church and people would yell, oh, Holy Spirit, come now. It was like that. And it was yeah. so radically different from this 
Anglican let it fall. And and so we had sort of mellowed. We had in, in just in that short period of time, we had mellowed even in our Toronto-ness. And to go back to the AOG where if you don't yell, God doesn't come, we were like, oh, this is this is too much. I remember having conversations with you and various other people that were going to these Anglican meetings at the time and being disillusioned with what was happening at Great Big AOG and not sitting comfortably with it. And actually, I was starting to actually get quite angry because I just didn't know how to process it all and my world in some sort of way was falling apart. And you tried to get me to come across to these Anglican meetings, but I was so disillusioned by the whole Toronto thing that I didn't want to go near it. For me, I think I was just searching out something that was just a bit more uh, level-headed, grounded, not caught up in this, what I saw as just bullshit. I wonder if you had come to this Anglican church, if you would have had a different experience. You know, it's sort of the the less crazy. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I look back on it now and it's, and it's all bullshit. Okay? I don't want to yeah. pretend and sit here saying, oh, no, 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 it was different. You know, it was true at the Anglican church. But I just wonder if you'd had that more of a mellow sort of expression or if you would have just gone, nah, this is just the same shit, different bucket, who knows? Yeah, I wonder and I have thought about that myself. And, uh, I mean, it's for me it's not as if I was leaving Christianity at all. I mean, that didn't happen for many, many years. No, you were defending and- Christianity, right? You were saying this is wrong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was actually seeing it as some sort of some sort of blip on the radar, something that couldn't be explained. And a lot of people who were defending that space were saying, the reason you can't explain it is because it's God and God's unexplainable. And I was going, I don't think so. Well, if that's the case, why do we have theology? Why do we have some sort of grounded truth that we all hang our hat on as uh, of our beliefs? So, I mean, I, I was... I can't remember if I was still at Bible college or I'd just come out of Bible college or whatever. It was around that time. So for me, that academic side of it was something that I was still embedded in and I couldn't reconcile it with the, you know, with the apologist's um, account of things um, because it was just something new. But people were saying it's a revival and you can never explain revivals logically. It's interesting because... It was at those meetings, as I said, that I started to see Christians from other denominations. And there were people that were there that weren't necessarily buying into it. They were there just to see. But they were they were there. And I was starting to see some friends of mine who had left Great Big AOG years before me, who are now in other churches. They were there. And I was sort of, hey, how you been? What you up to? And, and their lives had gone on, you mm. know, in spite of leaving um, great big AOG. And there was one guy in particular, I'm going to call him Jay, who came up to me and said, are you T? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, I've heard about you and I've heard about the work that you're doing around cults, specifically the revival centers. And we actually started talking and we sort of made a connection around this whole cult thing. And he was there <laughs> coming from a counter cult. He thought the whole Toronto thing was bullshit. Yeah. And here's me right into the whole cult thing, you know, and thinking that it was true. And we sort of put that aside and started talking and he became someone that I connected with around the cult stuff. And so I'll put a pin in that for now. This is another episode, but that was the beginning of something as well. So this whole Toronto thing, like for you, whilst, you know, it had upset you, it had done all that, for me, it was actually opening me up to 
other people's experiences, other people's expression of Christianity. It was almost as if it was like some sort of party where other people from different parts of the church were all coming together and we're all getting to see each other. Yeah, so for me, it wasn't just about the actual, the, the Toronto thing was the drawing, was the reason to go. But I started to forge a relationship, my ex-girlfriend and I started to forge a relationship with the minister of this church and, and his wife. And I was invited to speak. Remember, I hadn't earned the right to speak at Great Big AOG. All of a sudden now at this Christian focal point for our city, I was being given the pulpit and told to speak. And so there I was up speaking at these at these meetings and stuff. And so you can see what was happening for me. To, if I was to reject Toronto, there was so much other good stuff happening around me that I, I just couldn't, you know. But like you, I was still saying inside myself, hold on, what is this? What's really going on? But I was parking it. I was just putting it aside and going, it's okay, because I was traumatized by the whole great big AOG thing. I needed this, B. I needed this. Yeah, of course. Uh, look, I remember at the time trying to draw in allies of the people who would also stand with me and call bullshit on it. And and I got a few around me that people were going, yeah, not for me. I actually, you know, not going as far as saying this isn't God, um, but going as far as saying it doesn't sit with me, I'm not sure what it is, but I, I don't want to be involved with it. They became less and less as it started to really take off in Great Big AG and be part of just about every service, every Bible study, every youth service, like got taken over by this holy laughter and just madness. I, the, the allies became less and less, you know, and that was whether it was pastors, whether it was friends, whether it was just people who I could identify with that I didn't usually have much to do with because they were calling bullshit. They were dwindling because for you it became apparent for you to remain a great big AOG, you had to be all in. You had to buy into the madness that was happening. So it was like the barriers that they had were slowly broken down. And so it was, I guess for you, it was sort of like standing there and just watching people drop, boom, boom, until eventually it was just you or just you and a couple. How did, how did that work? Yeah, me and my ex-wife, we both, despite what had happened to her months earlier in that meeting where she'd been running around herself, um, had both sort of taken a step back from it. My mother-in-law at the time was very much the same. She was a bit more of a quiet, considered person and she was like, nah, my parents who were at another church, um, they didn't really get into it either. They sat on the edge of it and, and didn't didn't quite understand it or process it. But then I had other family members who were in different, far more fundamentalist congregations, threw themselves very deeply into it. So it was all around me. But yes, people were dropping and it got to the point where for us, we had to start looking elsewhere. I don't think we actually saw each other in that time. I think no. it was later on. It was after you'd left. And it was interesting because and I do want to hear your story about what actually got you to make that decision. It was after you'd left, we reconnected and you started telling me about your problems with Great Big AOG and also your problems with this whole Toronto thing. And I think I was more looking for an ally in someone that had left Great Big AOG. And so I think we sort of parked the whole Toronto thing. Like I was into it, you weren't, and that was okay. 
And I think in that sense, we sort of connected more around this, I've left great big AOG, so have I, even though it was with sort of months apart, maybe six months even, I'm not sure. But tell me about what happened because there was a series of things that happened in spite of this Toronto that made you go, I'm leaving. Yeah, look, and, and you know, the time frames of these are things that are, are quite mixed up, but they're all within a 12-month period. So I, I couldn't remember exactly how close they all were this was 25-plus years ago. But there was, and, and I think we've touched on this before, there was a, a guy who who was in the youth group. He was gay. He was flamboyantly gay. Like it, it wasn't something that um, anyone could deny he, that he was still hopping in and out of the scene. He was he was drug taking. He was still very much within that that scene and not fully bought into the church quite yet. I think he really wanted to be, and I think he'd had a genuine experience for him that wanted to to see him look at Christianity. But of course, you couldn't be gay and be a Christian. He was very troubled too, remember? He was a very troubled very. soul. You could see it. And he, he made a lot of people uncomfortable, I think, because he was just so clearly gay. And that yeah. was that. It was it, it made it did make people uncomfortable. And I think for me at that time, my as I said earlier in this episode, my now ex-wife, you know, she was a graduate of that dance school. She was very alternative, had a lot of gay friends. Although I would definitely at that time have gone, you can't be gay and be a Christian. Like that's just not on. Um, I wasn't ever I'd, I'd never steer away from gay people. I had absolutely no problem with the fact that they were gay and I wasn't never uncomfortable in that place. So this kid, you know, I had real compassion for him because I, I could see the struggle that he was facing. He was evidently quite an avid drug user as well and he had OD'd. And I remember at, at this time, as I said, he was sort of sat around the fringes. He'd get involved and he'd disappear for a few weeks or a few months but he'd OD'd and he had gone to hospital and the youth pastor um, and his wife at that time had been told that this kid had OD'd. And, you know, whether this was Chinese whispers or whether it was um, actual fact of what happened, but what I... I don't think you can say Chinese whispers anymore. I think you have to now say... The whispers. The, I'd say I love The Walking Dead, so the whisperers is something very different. But um, the whispers. Okay, there was whispers happening. They were asked, the church was asked to go and see this kid. He was, he'd OD'd, he'd been in intensive care, was in a really shitty space, and the response given was, he's not part of our church, we won't be going to visit him. You know, don't worry about going to see the, the sick and the hungry and the poor and the disenfranchised. No, he wasn't part of our church. He wasn't tithing. <laughs> and for me, I just, that was another kick in the head at the time. I was like, are you kidding and I'd heard about this much later, like after it had happened. Otherwise, I would have gone and seen the kid myself in hospital. This was this was much after because I'd been asking, you know, where, where is this guy? Um, and people were saying, well, he's not here and this is what's happened. And I was like, oh, my God, this is just another nail in the coffin of, of my time at Great Big AOG. I remember you telling me. I remember we were at a um, – might have been that same same time where we did the Guatemala um, around the campfire, but I remember you telling me this story and, and you were really very upset and you were like, who do these, you know, youth leader and his wife think that they are, that they don't go and visit a member of their youth group 
who's just OD'd. And and I remember you you challenged them, didn't you? And they said, oh, he, he doesn't come enough anymore. He's not really a member or something like that. Yeah, it was something that I can't remember all the details. Um, but it was definitely, he was seen as not worthy of a visit or not worthy of support. Um, maybe he was seen as a lost cause because he was still still gay and still using drugs god forbid that someone would be on a journey towards something different or something better and and still have some of the the undesirable things that they saw it's it's just absolutely strange but i think for me that was a bit of a tipping point and i think where we did actually start catching up again is you guys had started to explore a baptist church and we were like, oh, maybe we should play in a different space. Maybe we should try another denomination. Maybe the Baptists will be a little bit more level-headed about this. And it was a great big charismatic Baptist. So let's be yeah. clear, it was pretty Pentecostal, even though officially it wasn't. And so, yeah, we'll just call it charismatic Baptist from this point forward. Um, yeah, we'd, we'd gone along there and we'd started attending on Sundays. And we'd go once, we wouldn't go twice because fuck this spiritual once a bullshit we'll decide thank you very much how often we go and so we started going once a sunday we, i think we're mostly just to the night services this is my um my girlfriend at the time and who also then went on to become my wife and so she and i were going along there and there was no toronto there was none of that stuff was happening at all we reached out to the senior youth minister so he was the youth minister but he was one of of many they had quite a big youth group, you know, comparable, I think, in a lot of ways to Great Big AOG. And that's what attracted us, obviously, right, was the fact that yep. this was this was very much like what we knew, but we were hoping for a very different culture. And so this pastor, I'll call him, I'll call him S, okay, Pastor S, but you didn't call people so much pastor there. That was another thing that I liked about it, right? Remember this spiritual title thing? It was just yep. S. I went and saw him and I told him a lot of my stories, a lot of what had happened to me. And he was great. He really was, because this was much more that sort of slightly more leftist-leaning Baptist kind of you can be on a journey. And he really reached out and he said, you know what, why don't you and your girlfriend start coming over every Wednesday night to my place and my wife and I will have you for dinner every Wednesday and then we'll have a Bible study slash prayer thing, just the four of us. Could you imagine that happening at Great Big AOG? That the, the most senior youth pastor says, this kid's hurting, this girl is hurting, let's bring them in and let's look after them. And yeah. so they did. And so for months, we would go to their place on a Wednesday night and we would have our own little home group with the most senior youth leader of, you know, he, he didn't see it that way. It was like, here's need, here's a way to be Jesus to this to these people. They're hurting, they're broken. And it didn't matter that he was the most senior. He didn't handball us on to anyone. And so we started having this Bible study. There was no yelling. There was no, oh, Holy Spirit. You know, there was none of that. And that, this was vibing with our Anglican, you know, Toronto thing. And so we started meeting with him and started, you know, having regular Bible studies. But I remember still in me was this itching to do something because I was still at Bible college, right? And I was still connected to the whole AOG thing through there. I wanted to do something. I wanted to be a minister. I wanted to be a pastor. Right? This was my drive. This was my desire. You know, you could argue that I had been institutionalized and indoctrinated that this was the only path to go, but 100% this is what I thought 
God wanted, not just, I think this is what God needed from me. You know, this is what God demanded of me. And it was unhealthy. It was toxic. And it was everything that had been, you know, been built into me in Great Big AOG. He kept telling me, just sit. It's okay. Just relax, you know. But of course, what I heard from that was be a pew warmer, just mm-hmm. sit still, just be little, just be small, just not matter. And and so that was hard to take, but I did it. Yeah. But at the same time, I started a Bible study at my house, which was in air quotes, officially part of Charismatic Baptist, but nobody from Charismatic Baptist went. I actually started getting some great big AOG refugees, some people from Bible college. And next thing you know, we were having this Bible study at my house on a on another night, not the same night that I go to to the to the pastor's house. There was no singing, there was no guitars, there was, you know, a little bit of prayer and, you know, occasionally a little bit of word, you know, word from God, that kind of Pentecostal stuff. But you know what it really became about? It became this hardcore Bible study where we started studying Romans and Galatians. And it was this almost conservative evangelical style Bible study where we would just literally study the Bible. And we were deprogramming and unpacking all this great big AOG shit whilst sort of hanging around the fringes of this charismatic Baptist church. And so that's where I landed at that point. And I think that's when I found out that you'd gone and invited you along to charismatic Baptist, didn't I? Yeah, well, for me, it was sort of, we still had a foot in each camp at that time. We, we were testing out the Baptist Baptist flavour to see if it worked for us. And we were only a, a, a couple of months at that stage off getting married. And we had already rented a house, which I had moved into. I'm surprised you both didn't know I knew. Well, we were we were living <laughs> together at my parents See, at that I stage. Know. You were lying yeah. in the dark listening to Carmen, weren't you? But with her betrayed. Yeah. It was Barry. It was Barry White. Barry White by that stage, yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it must have been maybe four or six weeks. Actually, we'd we'd rent at this place. It was much further out. I, I used to live twelve, thirteen k's from Great Big AOG. This was pushing out to like forty, fifty k's. And I know a lot of people travelled that far to go, and I absolutely would have continued to do so had I actually bought into it. But I started to use it as a bit of a um, a reason for why I couldn't stay at Great Big AOG anymore and would have to leave. We were at that stage where I think we had just got married because the the pastor, the assistant pastor of Great Big OG married us. And called her by the wrong name. Called her by the wrong name, which was brilliant because they read straight off their notes of the last wedding that they had done. And uh, Yeah, no, no, no Bible study with him, B. No Bible no. study with him and his wife. He was just reading the last notes from the last wedding. That's what Absolutely. you mattered. Mm. You were a pew warmer. Mm. Well, and this is where it went. So um, I, I, rather than just leaving, you know, I thought, you know, I'd been involved with these guys for, at this stage, a, a few years. And, you know, I had been on that trajectory where they had thought that I would go into full-time ministry. I had thought I would be. But the last few months it had all fallen apart for me with froth and bubble. So I went to him and said, look, we're going. We've been going to a Baptist church for a bit. There's another one that is out near where we're moving to. Now we're married. This is where we're going to go. And anyway, he rang me and said, 
like he'd obviously I'd spoken to him face to face, but then he'd rang me and said, I want you to come over for dinner. It wasn't for a Bible study. It was come over to no, our place. It wasn't place regular. For it wasn't a regular Bible study. Now let's make that clear. And look, I, I think to a certain degree, this guy, he did care for me and my ex wife. I think he, he did, but he saw what he was involved in and his brand as the thing that we should continue to be involved in. I had been really honest with him that the whole Toronto Blessing stuff was still going. It didn't sit with me. It was shit. Um, I didn't get it. I would continue not to get it because it doesn't sit comfortably with me. I think at that time he'd resigned to the fact that if they didn't continue to embrace it, then it's where the whole scene was going, so you'd lose people. So it had been embraced. Whether they bought into it, whether they believed in it, I don't know. That's another thing. He had seen previously, I'd said previously it didn't sit with him. So he calls us over for dinner, came over, and he just laid it on and just said, you know, you can't leave, you shouldn't leave. You know, he wasn't forbidding me to leave, but he said, if you go to a Baptist church, you are just going to be a pew warmer. And we had a discussion about Baptist churches and he had inferred that they definitely weren't as spiritual as Great Big AOG, that it would be something that we would just sit up the back, we would just be part of it. And that was seen as something bad, obviously. And it was quite a tense evening. And by the end of the evening, I think that that was it. He'd seen, he'd done his job. It was time to cut them. Um, they had been warned and now cast them off to be pew warmers. We never went back. Um, so that was the last time we saw him. It was the last time we saw the church. There was no goodbye from the church, <laughs> nothing like that. No, they weren't sending you out. They didn't stand you up on the platform and lay hands on you and send you out because you weren't going to where they had said you could go. That's right. We were cut. We were, we were done. And although we did continue to catch up with a number of people that still went to that church, and some of those got involved in the Toronto thing, some didn't, it became less and less of a connection for us. And we would soon, not long after that, really leave the state. Um, it wasn't we, we moved interstate, but um, for that year or two that we did, it was probably a couple of years that we continued to hang around. I was a bit of an observer from afar watching the madness still happen, but feeling a lot safer, feeling a lot more settled and a lot more accepted in the Baptist space. And um, not to say that they, they were a little bit of a Baptocostal. They, they had a bit of a, a funky flavour to them. They weren't your old school Baptists, but they certainly had not flipped over to the Toronto space. It was spot, it was spoken about and they didn't see them themselves as um, being part of that greater movement that was happening around them. Mm. So let's talk about leaving and let's talk about leaving Great Big AOG because we have spent 38, including this episodes, going to this place where we actually end up leaving Great Big AOG. So we've both told, told our stories and look, there's more to tell, right? A hundred percent. There's more to tell because we're, we were still fundamentalists. We were, we just weren't in Great Big AOG anymore. So how does one leave Great Big AOG? How does one correctly, from, from Great Big AOG's perspective, how do you leave? I don't think you can actually just leave. I think it's something that you've actually got to almost have it forced upon you. Like I, I didn't feel like it was something that was actually a choice. I didn't feel like I had an option. For me, I had to either embrace what was happening there or I had to leave. 
I had to make that choice. It wasn't an easy leaving. It wasn't necessarily, it was voluntary in that I had to get out of there, but it's not, I guess, ultimately what I would have wanted to happen. I was quite comfortable there. I was very accepted there. I was in a position of um, of influence or power to a certain degree, a very small degree, but a certain degree. You were a middle leader, that was true. Yeah, so some, that gives you comfort. And I guess that you're not challenged as much, but this greater challenge came. So for me, I didn't have a choice. I had to leave. It, it made me, but it also made me see these the sort of people that these people were, that they couldn't actually support you leaving. They couldn't support you to go, okay, you're still going somewhere else where these people profess the same core beliefs, core things about Christianity that we do. That's okay. You're still in the space. It wasn't that at all. You know, as I said to you before, you know, I, I had, you know, there was aspirations for me and aspirations I had. So I think for me, I had to let go of those as well. Well, that was what C talked about, you know, in leaving Great Big CCC. She she went off to see the bigger tribe. And then when she came back and started talking about what the bigger tribe was saying, she was censored. She was, yeah. you know, told, you know, almost told who she couldn't couldn't live with. There's no doubt. But look, I want to come back to that question, right? Because you, you definitely answered it in a sense. But how does someone leave Great Big AOG properly, according to them? How do they exit? I think you have to go to another AOG or another church or fold that's ordained, or you are sent out as a representative of Great Big AOG going out to either plant a church somewhere. Because remember, they were big on, on church planting. They were very big on expanding, and they definitely had like strategic plan type things that talked about how many churches they would plant by a certain in a certain time frame, like it was, you know, whatever it was, 2,000 churches by 2,000 or whatever it was. There was some sort of catchphrase. I remember that happening. So I don't think you can leave in a healthy way if you were just going somewhere that isn't part of the brand. I'm not, and I'd love to hear from people that have done that and be proven wrong because I'm more than happy to be proven wrong, but I haven't seen a great deal of evidence of that because people were quite often explained away as going somewhere else less desirable if they left. It wasn't part of a great big OG's plan for you. What, What do you reckon? Well, that's the point. That's exactly the point that I'm trying to draw out, that you know, one of the signs of a cult is you can't leave, you know, um, you can't just exit. And even in what you're saying to me then, you can't exit the brand. There's just no option. You you can go to a smaller version of the brand. You can go to a church plant or, you know, we can lay hands on you and send you out or whatever, but you can't choose to leave. And that says to me that it's very cultic. And now that may not be true of every smaller suburban AOG in different cities and but our experience of Great Big AOG was you cannot leave unless we tell you you can leave. That's what happened to me with Country Town AOG. That's what happened to me with Great Big AOG. And more than that, you can't just go anywhere you want. You have to go to another version of us or to a smaller version, a bigger version, whatever. There's just no leaving. And that's cultic. Yeah, look, and I think that you and I have had these conversations many times where we were really reluctant to say it was a cult. And I remember these conversations 25 years ago of us going, you know what, they're not a cult, they're cultish. 
I still have a reluctance to go, it was a cult. But that cultic, cultish type behaviour was something that was deeply ingrained within the fabric of how that, that worked, that place worked. And how are they any different from the revival centres, which we will say they're a cult? When you leave, remember my whole strategy, my whole plan, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to do this and do that and then they're going to say this. And They had every possible exit door bolted and yep. they were ready for us. And, you know, I mean, I didn't know that they were ready for me when I walked out, but be, leaving was really, and this is the, the great big AOG, leaving was really painful. It cost emotionally so much. I mean, I lost almost all my friends except the others that had left. Yeah. I lost my career path. I lost everything. And the only reason I stayed on at AOG Bible College was because I needed to finish this degree. I was nearly there. So I ended up staying another eight months or whatever it was just to finish off this degree. But that was agony being there every day and just listening to them carry on about the AOG. And of course, if you spoke out, then, well, let's face it, you can't speak out, especially at Bible college, because all these people are, um, are ministering. So you know what happened? As if it's like, T, didn't you learn? You know that Bart Simpson episode where he just kept grabbing that electric shock thing? Oh, and then he grabbed it. Yes. Again. Oh, that was me. And I actually yeah. had someone actually use that analogy for me because you know what happened for me? I got an opportunity on the roster to preach at chapel, yeah. at Bible college, and I've left, and all this has happened. What yeah. do you reckon I got up and spoke about? Um, I think you might have been critical. I spoke on spiritual title, which was the thing that had got senior pastor of, you know, I spoke on the spiritual title. I got up there and said this. I had people come to me afterwards, I'm not kidding, verbally attacking me. What was that? Who do you think you are? What do you mean by this? Who? I, I mean, literally raising their voices at me straight after chapel, after presenting that that sermon on "Don't be called pastor, just be more relatable to your flock," and full on. And so, what eventually happened for me, because I want to get to the end of where I completely left the AOG, yeah. was there was a guy at the Bible College who'd come from another denomination. And he was working at the Bible college while still attending another denomination. Don't ask me how it happened. I think they wanted his, you know, his postgraduate certifications and qualifications to, to, to boost the brand of the Bible college. And he could see me suffering. And he sat down with me and he said, let's accelerate your program. And he accelerated my subjects, et cetera, and got me out of there at the end of that year. So at the end of 1996, I finally graduated from the Bible College, and I was completely free of the AOG. But again, I was expelled, I was rejected, I was thrown out, and this had been my experience. Now, that's two Pentecostal denominations that's happened to me now. Two. Yeah. So technically, the second one, I wasn't literally expelled and thrown out, but you know what I'm saying. It was all just so sour, so fucking bitter that I just had to get out of there. There's no way to leave that organization in a healthy way. And I think we've got to, you know, in terms of the cult list of this is what a cult looks like, we've got to put a big tick next to that one, mate. We've got to mm. say that's cultic. It's definitely cultic. And, it, and it's interesting because for me, you know, I'd completely left the AOG as well. I never went back to an AOG after this. However, we spent six months traveling 
my, my ex-wife and I um, about two years after this and we were travelling within Australia and quite often on a Sunday, you know, not every Sunday, but every every now and then we'd end up going, oh, let's see what church is in this town that we're in this week. And we would never try out an AOG. Generally, I went back to my roots and went to a Christian city church that was in in that town. And I'd go back to them because, you know, felt a little bit of comfort. They were a little bit more laid back. They were a bit more of that surfy brand and um, a bit more probably what you saw in the scene at the time as alternative, even though it wasn't really that alternative. Could never dip my toe back in the AOG borders. Yeah, I think if you'd met C and understood what she'd gone to, gone through, you may have, in fact, not gone to the CCC either because, I, you know, to, to me now, and I'm just going to nail my colours to the mast, C3, Hillsong, Australian Christian churches, same, 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 same. No, they are. They absolutely are. Um, I think sometimes you just try and find that comfort space and, you know, m- more often than not we'd, we'd land in a, a Baptist church as well because we'd just been in a Baptist church for a couple of years at that time and, you know, come accustomed to, to their way of doing things too. So it was probably still a transitional time. I mean, you, you come out of that Pentecostal scene. For me, you know, I'd, I'd become a Christian. I'd been in the Pentecostal scene for a total of only about six years but it had had a profound impact on who I was, who I'd become, and I guess the way that I saw the world. Um, I was in evangelical or, you know, more generic Christian-branded churches for the rest of my Christian journey, which was still a further, I don't know how many years, maybe a further 12, 13 years after this. So, But I still look back on this Pentecostal journey as having a profound effect on me. I hear so I was in in and out of Pentecostalism for about 12 years. There was a sort of a two-year gap within that 12 years, so collectively 10 years, but um, you know, over a 12-year period. And I would even argue that the time that I was out, I was still very much in. So let's call it 12 years. I am, again, making the point that leaving was really, really hard, but it was yeah. the best thing that I did. I needed to leave. It wasn't good for me. It wasn't good for my soul, and I needed to go. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And I mean, for me, even though, as as we said before, even though I'd left that Pentecostal fundamentalist space, I was still a fundamentalist ultimately for many, many years to come. So there was a lot more that happened, but the transition of me as a person to who I've become now is evident through that time. And it took me a long time to carve off that that baggage that I'd picked up from my Pentecostal journey along the way because it was so incredibly deeply fundamentalist where there was no other valid truth. Yeah, I had another four or five years of church and evangelicalism. So, I, you know, I've still got a lot more content to share on this podcast, my friend. Mm, absolutely. But there you go, people. We have left, we have officially left the AOG building. Yep, Elvis has left the building, and so have we. But you, unlike Elvis, you won't see us at 7-Eleven anytime soon. Well, you might, actually. Who knows? And then we're nearly at the end of this season. We're actually going to have our Q&A like we did last time, and then we're going to take another break. We already started planning out Season 3. We've got a few guests lined up for Season 3, and plus plenty more stories about where we went next and, I guess, the influence 
that we took with us, but also the how it had changed the way that we looked at things, I think. Yeah. And season three is going to be, I guess, our sort of broader evangelical experience rather than just Pentecostalism, but we'll still dip our toe back in from time to time as things come up. But really, it's going to be more about being Churches of Christ and Baptists and, and you know, my experience with the evangelical left and some of this emerging church stuff. And we'll see where it, we'll see where it all lands. Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good. We'll be able to, and it's a bit closer to the memory for me, probably uh, less traumatic as well. So I might even remember more things that my brain hasn't seared away because of the trauma. So looking forward to it. On that note, I'll cue the music and then we'll see you all next week. See you, people. 